Letter seventeen of Clarissa Harlow, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter seventeen. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe, Monday afternoon, March twenty seventh. I have deposited my narrative down to this day noon but I hope soon to follow it with another letter, that I may keep you as little a while as possible in that suspense, which I am so much affected by at this moment, for my heart is disturbed at every foot I hear stir, and at every door below that I hear open or shut. They have been all assembled some time, and are in close debate, I believe, but can there be room for long debate upon a proposal, which, if accepted, will so effectually answer all their views? Can they insist a moment longer upon my having Mr. Solmes, when they see what sacrifices I am ready to make, to be freed from his addresses. Oh, but I suppose the struggle is first with Bella's nicety, to persuade her to accept of the estate, and of the husband, and next with her pride, to take her sister's refusals, as she once phrased it. Or it may be my brother is insisting upon equivalents for his reversion in the estate, and these sort of things take up but too much the attention of some of our family. To these, no doubt, one or both it must be owing, that my proposal admits of so much consideration. I want, methinks, to see what Mr. Lovelace in his letter says, but I will deny myself this piece of curiosity, till that which is raised by my present suspense is answered. Excuse me, my dear, that I thus trouble you, with my uncertainties, but I have no employment nor heart, if I had, to pursue any other, but what my pen affords me. Monday evening. Would you believe it? Betty, by anticipation, tells me that I am to be refused. I am a vile, artful creature. Everybody is too good to me. My uncle Harlow has been taken in, that's the phrase. They know how it would be, if he either wrote to me or saw me. He has, however, been made ashamed to be so wrought upon. A pretty thing, truly, in the eye of the world it would be, were they to take me at my word. It would look as if they had treated me thus hardly, as I think it, for this very purpose. My peculiars, particularly Miss Howe, would give it that turn, and I myself could mean nothing by it, but to see if it would be accepted in order to strengthen my own arguments against Mr. Soames. It was amazing that it could admit of a moment's deliberation, that anything could be supposed to be done in it. It was equally against law and equity, and a fine security Miss Bella would have, or Mr. Soames, when I could resume it when I would. My brother and she my heirs, oh, the artful creature! I to resolve to live single, when Lovelace is so sure of me, and everywhere declares as much, and can, whenever he pleases, if my husband claim under the will, then the insolence, the confidence, as Betty mincingly told me, that one said, you may easily guess who, that she, who was so justly in disgrace for downright rebellion, should pretend to prescribe to the whole family, should name a husband for her elder sister, what a triumph would her obstinacy go away with, to delegate her commands, not as from a prison, as she called it, but as from her throne, to her elders and betters, and to her father and mother too. Amazing, perfectly amazing, that anybody could argue upon such a proposal as this. It was a master-stroke of finesse. It was me in perfection. Surely my uncle Harlow will never again be so taken in. All this was the readier told me, because it was against me, and would tease and vex me. But as some of this fine recapitulation implied, that somebody spoke up for me, I was curious to know who it was but betty would not tell me for fear i should have the consolation to find that all were not against me but do you not see my dear what a sad creature she is 
whom you honour with your friendship. You could not doubt your influence over me. Why did you not take the friendly liberty I have always taken with you, and tell me my faults, and what a specious hypocrite I am? For if my brother and sister could make such discoveries, how is it possible that faults so enormous, you could see others you thought of a more secret nature, could escape your penetrating eye? Well, but now, it seems, they are debating how and by whom to answer me, for they know not, nor are they to know, that Mrs. Betty has told me all these fine things. One desires to be excused, it seems, another chooses not to have anything to say to me, another has enough of me, and of writing to so ready a scribbler there will be no end. Thus are those imputed qualifications, which you so lately to gain me applause, now become my crimes. So much do disgust and anger alter the property of things. The result of their debate, I suppose, will somehow or other be communicated to me, by and by. But let me tell you, my dear, that I am made so desperate, that I am afraid to open Mr. Lovelace's letter, lest, in the humour I am in, I should do something, if I find it not exceptionable, that may give me repentance as long as I live. Monday night. This moment the following letter is brought me by Betty. Monday, five o'clock. Miss Cunning One. Your fine new proposal is thought unworthy of a particular answer. Your uncle Harlowe is ashamed to be so taken in. Have you no new fetch for your uncle Antony? Go round with us, child, now your hand's in. But I was bid to write only one line, that you might not complain, as you did of your worthy sister, for the freedoms you provoked. It is this. Prepare yourself. To-morrow you go to my uncle Antony's. That's all, child. James Harlowe. I was vexed to the heart at this, and immediately in the warmth of resentment wrote the enclosed to my uncle Harlowe who it seems stays here this night. To John Harlow, Esquire, Monday night. Honoured sir. I find I am a very sad creature, and did not know it. I wrote not to my brother. To you, sir, I wrote. From you I hope the honour of an answer. No one reveres her uncle more than I do. Nevertheless, between uncle and niece excludes not such a hope, and I think I have not made a proposal that deserves to be treated with scorn. Forgive me, sir, my heart is full. Perhaps one day you may think you have been prevailed upon, for that is plainly the case, to join to treat me, as I do not deserve to be treated. If you are ashamed, as my brother hints, of having expressed any returning tenderness to me, God help me. I see I have no mercy to expect from anybody. But, sir, from your pen let me have an answer. I humbly implore it of you. Till my brother can recollect what belongs to a sister, I will not take from him no answer to the letter I wrote to you, nor any commands whatever. I move everybody. This, sir, is what you are pleased to mention. But whom have I moved? One person in the family has more moving ways than I have, or he could never so undeservedly have made everybody ashamed to show tenderness to a poor distressed child of the same family. Return me not this with contempt, or torn, or unanswered, I beseech you. My father has a title to do that, or anything, by his child. But from no other person in the world of your sex, sir, or to young creature of mine, while she preserves a supplicating spirit, to be so treated, when what I have before written in the humblest strain has met with such strange constructions, I am afraid that this unguarded scrawl will be very ill-received, but I beg, sir, you will oblige me with one line, be it ever so harsh, in answer to my proposal. I still think it ought to be attended to. I will enter into the most solemn engagements to make it valid by a perpetual single life. In a word, anything I can do, I will do to be restored to all your favours. More I cannot say, but that I am, very undeservedly, a most unhappy creature. 
Betty scrupled again to carry this letter, and said she should have anger, and I should have it returned in scraps and bits. I must take that chance, said I. I only desire that you will deliver it as directed. Sad doings, very sad, she said, that young ladies should so violently set themselves against their duty. I told her she should have the liberty to say what she pleased, so she would but be my messenger that one time, and down she went with it. I bid her, if she could, slide it into my uncle's hand unseen, at least unseen by my brother or sister, for fear it should meet, through their good office, with the fate she had bespoken for it. She would not undertake for that, she said. I am now in expectation of the result, but having so little ground to hope for their favour or mercy, I opened Mr. Lovelace's letter. I would send it to you, my dear, as well as those I shall enclose by this conveyance, but not being able at present to determine in what manner I shall answer it, I will give myself the trouble of abstracting it here, while I am waiting for what may offer from the letter just carried down. He laments as usual my ill opinion of him, and readiness to believe everything to his disadvantage. He puts into plain English, as I supposed he would, my hint, that I might be happier if by any rashness he might be guilty of to Solmes, he should come to an untimely end himself. He is concerned, he says, that the violence he had expressed on his extreme apprehensiveness of losing me should have made him guilty of anything I had so much reason to resent. He owns that he is passionate. All good-natured men, he says, are so, and a sincere man cannot hide it, but appeals to me, whether if any occasion in the world could excuse the rashness of his expressions, it would not be his present dreadful situation, through my indifference and the malice of his enemies. He says, he has more reason than ever, from the contents of my last, to apprehend, that I shall be prevailed upon by force, if not by fair means, to fall in with my brother's measures, and sees but too plainly, that I am preparing him to expect it. Upon this presumption he supplicates, with the utmost earnestness, that I will not give way to the malice of his enemies. Solemn vows of reformation, and everlasting truth and obligingness, he makes, all in the style of desponding humility. Yet calls it a cruel turn upon him, to impute his protestations, to a consciousness of the necessity there is, for making them, from his bad character. He despises himself, he solemnly protests, for his past follies. He thanks God he has seen his error, and nothing but my more particular instructions is wanting, to perfect his reformation. He promises that he will do everything that I shall think he can do with honour, to bring about a reconciliation with my father, and even will, if I insist upon it, make the first overtures to my brother, and treat him as his own brother, because he is mine, if he will not by new affronts revive the remembrance of the past. He begs in the most earnest and humble manner, for one half-hour's interview, undertaking by a key which he owns he has to the garden-door, leading into the coppice, as we call it, if I will but unbolt the door, to come into the garden at night, and wait till I have an opportunity to come to him, that he may reassure me of the truth of all he writes, and of the affection, and, if needful, protection, of all his family. He presumes not, he says, to write by any way of menace to me, but if I refuse him this favour, he knows not, so desperate have some strokes in my letter made him, what his despair may make him do. He asks me, determined as my friends are, and far as they have already gone, and declare they will go, what can I propose to do to avoid having Mr. Solmes, if I am carried to my uncle Antony's, unless I resolve to accept of the protection he has offered to procure me, or except I will escape to London, or elsewhere, while I can escape? He advises me to sue to your mother for her private reception of me, only till I can obtain possession of my own estate, and procure my friends to be reconciled to me, which he is sure they will be desirous to be, the moment I am out of their power. He apprises me, 
it is still my wonder how he comes by this intelligence, that my friends have written to my cousin Morden to represent matters to him in their own partial way, nor doubt they to influence him on their side of the question, that all this shews I have but one way, if none of my friends or intimates will receive me. If I will transport him with the honour of my choice of this one way, settlement shall be drawn with proper blanks, which I shall fill up as I pleased. Let him but have my commands from my own mouth, all my doubts and scruples from my own lips, and only a repetition that I will not, on any consideration, be Solmes's wife, and he shall be easy. But after such a letter as I have written, nothing but an interview can make him so. He beseeches me, therefore, to unbolt the door as that very night, or, if I receive not this time enough, this night, and he will, in a disguise that shall not give suspicion who he is, if he should be seen, come to the garden door, in hopes to open it with his key, nor will he have any other lodging than in the coppice both nights, watching every wakeful hour for the propitious unbolting, unless he has a letter with my orders to the contrary, or to make some other appointment. This letter was dated yesterday, so he was there last night, I suppose, and will be there this night, and I have not written a line to him, and now it is too late, where I determined what to write. I hope he will not go to Mr. Soames. I hope he will not come hither. If he do either, I will break with him for ever. What have I to do with these headstrong spirits? I wish I had never— But what signifies wishing? I am strangely perplexed. But I need not have told you this, after such a representation of my situation. End of letter 17